Father, we do come. We do come as your children. And we do say, because we are yours, take our lives. Father, you have taken our lives. You own us. We sing and we pray that we would live out of that reality. That it would be our heart's desire to have our mouths and our feet and our lips and our hands and our intellect and our silver and our gold, all these things be yours to do with as you will for your glory and for the sake of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. I want to encourage us this morning uh, as a, a local assembly made up of varying people with with different parts and different ways that we interact, all one body, the body of Christ in this local assembly. I, I want to encourage the, the men of this church um, to lead. I want, to teach, I want to encourage the men of this church to lead. I want to encourage the women of this church to empower the men of this church to lead particularly in your homes if you're married, but even if you're not married. The men of this church would lead, and the women of this church, of this local assembly, God's people, would empower men to lead. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Just as I try to please, that word there for please, uh, it means to to accommodate oneself to the interests of others. It doesn't mean to please them. It means to accommodate oneself to their interests. So, so men, we are to lead in everything we do, not seeking our own advantage. We are to follow Christ. We are to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. We are to lead. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Men, act like men. Be strong. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, the peace, in the conviction of truth. Stand firm. Act like men. We have plenty of opportunities to do this in the world we live in. You know, you know, I'm not much for politics. I'm, I'm not, and you know that. I don't, I don't want to put any, I, I put no hope in government or governmental leaders, nor would I want you to do that. But in, in governmental leaders and in politics, we can oftentimes see men, see men who lead well and see men who don't lead well. Uh, I was listening to Ron DeSantis talk this week, and a man talked with him, and that man leads with courage. He makes mistakes. 
He acknowledges those mistakes. He failed in some ways during the whole COVID thing, but he's, he's a courageous man that leads. Donald Trump is a man who, who gets people to follow him, and yet, and yet when it came to handling this pandemic, he didn't lead well. He, he was, whatever, for whatever reason, he led poorly. But, but, but men, husbands and husbands-to-be, men, elders and, and elders-to-be, in the church, fathers and grandfathers-to-be, men, Christ's body needs strong leaders. Your family needs strong leaders. This church needs strong leaders. Who live and lead for Christ's sake. Who live and lead for Christ's sake with courage. For Christ's sake with courage. Standing firm. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jew or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to accommodate myself to the interests of others in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that, that, of, but that of many, that they may be saved. I live my life, Paul says, that people would be saved. I stand, I stand on truth. I, I, whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God, that not for my own advantage, but that men might be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Men, let's imitate Christ. Let's lead. We have, a, we have an example of leadership in Brother Corey's life right now that we're, we're watching happen. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to make this something. I just want us to be encouraged, men. I want you to be encouraged. I want me to be encouraged. Brother Corey received a letter this week that I want to read. Well, we don't do letters anymore. It's actually an email, but I call them letters. Dear Brother Corey, while reading from Matthew's Gospel this week, the following words of our Lord caught my attention afresh, and I spent some time meditating upon them. You are the salt of the earth, but if a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. What does it mean to be salt? Does it mean that we add flavor to the world? In some way, I suppose the answer is yes, although it can't be quite that simple. Saltiness is usually understood as a welcome flavor, and yet the world does not welcome us. Does it mean that we preserve the world? In some way, perhaps we do. The gospel certainly has common grace restraining effect in the world, even among unbelievers. Yet it can hardly be concluded that we are going to preserve the world as we know this world is ultimately passing away. What then does it mean? I like how Joseph Benson stated in his commentary, among other things, he wrote that to be salt of the earth means that we are to be seasoning men's minds with wisdom and grace. I'm sure that you've spent no small amount of time second-guessing yourself in these recent weeks. 
Did I have to take this stand? Was this really the right fight to pick at the right time? Many Christian men will be happy to judge you from their armchairs, going on about the need for Christians to be nuanced and wise as they deal with the world in this present age. Some could even appeal to texts like this one to make their case. After all, salt is a subtle flavor, they might say. Thus, we too should be subtle and wise as we let our light shine before men. Our saltiness should have a subtle, preserving effect on the societies in which we find ourselves. It shouldn't be overbearing or too direct, right? The truth, I think, is that the world is filled with careful Christian men who have made it their life's aim to conceal the saltiness of their Christianity in the workplace. They have trained themselves to think that godliness looks subtle. It's to be marked by a generally upright conduct, which of course is which of which is of course good, but it labors to avoid the reproach that comes from having any actual discussion which paints Christ Jesus as Lord. In other words, we want to be salt, but we want to make sure our salt doesn't really taste like anything. We think of our salt as being baked into the batter of our lives. It's in there somewhere, making us be what we are, but it's it's not on display. Regrettably, it would seem that we take Jesus' words in this text and turn the point completely upside down. It should be obvious to us that Jesus does not speak here of the kind of salt that is pinched subtly into a lump of dough or the light which glows faintly from the pilot flame of our furnaces. He speaks of a saltiness which is to be tasted and a light which is to be seen. All this is to say, the world doesn't need more careful Christian men, brother, and you don't need to concern yourself too much with their judgments in this matter. Whatever outcome the Lord brings from the situation, your actions here have, will have succeeded in seasoning men's minds with wisdom and grace of our Lord Jesus. Some may find this seasoning distasteful. Some may find it pleasant. But everyone in your workplace will have had their mind seasoned nonetheless. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus will have been sprinkled upon their conscience in a new way will begin to permeate their minds. For some will be added to the compiled witness against them for their condemnation. And for God's people, it will bring about redemption, preservation, and sanctification. But as for you, it may not be said that you lost your taste. It may not be said that you hid your light under a bushel. And in these things, you may be certain that the Lord Jesus is pleased. May your soul be encouraged. May you find rest in the shelter of the Most High who loves you and has set his seal upon you with love. So, it's a great encouragement to Brother Corey. I think it's very well written. I want everyone to listen. Is your salt baked into the batter? You know, ladies, we put salt in a cake, don't we? Or in cookies. You can't taste the salt, can you? But it's in there. I thought the pilot light example was great. There's a pilot light in our furnaces at home. You can't see it, but it's there. That's not what Christ is talking about. And far too often, whether it be in the workplace or in our our extended families or wherever we may find ourselves, we want to know the salt's there, but we don't want anybody to taste it because it's just too strong. That light's too bright. And they'll want to snuff it out. And they'll want to spit that salt out of their mouth. I want to encourage men, be men. In your homes, be men. 
Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. Do it all in love. Live your lives imitating Christ. Paul imitating Christ in that everything we do, we do to the glory of God. And everything we do is not for our own sake. It is for the sake of others that they might be saved. People are drawn to strong leaders. Yes? You can see all kinds of bad examples of that. I, I've got many sports figures I could talk about that are, that are not great men, but they've had great success in sports because they are strong leaders. They will make a decision. They will lead courageously. They will take the shots that come for the decisions they make. Let's be those men for the sake of Christ. Let's, let's stand firm. Ladies, let's, let's encourage and let's, let's uh, empower our men to lead. Grow up, men. Be salty. Be bright. For Christ. And be encouraged. Father, we, we do. We do thank you for the example of Christ. And we do thank you for your, your structure, your plan. That it has men to lead. Father, please help us to lead courageously for your sake. Help us to, to not be content with knowing the salt is in us and the light is in us. May, may we be men who expose those things. The truth, your truths, in a culture that hates you, in a world that denies your existence with most everything they do. May we not, never give any affirmation to that. May we always expose these things, regardless of the cost. that you might be pleased. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we are going to be in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Uh, Remember, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, towards Calvary, towards the cross. He had been in Galilee for some 18 months doing ministry, and now he was headed to Jerusalem. And he's in Judea, and uh, we uh, we have seen that uh, late, recently here, starting in chapter eleven, he had taught his disciples how to pray, uh, and and so he taught them how to pray, and and then he encouraged them to pray with confidence. Then he uh, he cast out a demon, a, a, a demon, a muting demon from a man. Uh, he was he, they. He was accused of, of doing that by the power of the Lord of Dung, Satan himself. And when he showed the ridiculousness of that, that, that you know, he couldn't be casting out demons on behalf of Satan because that would be a household fighting against itself. 
And then, and then he talked about how, how uh, a, a strong man comes in, him being the strong man. And when he comes in and, and takes possession of his people, he kicks out the demons never to return. He goes on then to talk about the, the, the man who, who is without the demon. The demon leaves him and is going to come back to his house. And when he comes back, he sees this man has cleaned himself up. And we saw that there is no neutrality in Christ and that, and that morality without Christ is useless and dangerous. Brother Tony and I were just talking earlier. He got to see this in spades on the, on the, out in the streets today. A man who was, who was vile, a, a professing homosexual who was cursing Tony out for the, for the gospel, who, who knew he had no Christ. He was Christless and he wasn't afraid to say it. Compared to a really nice guy who came out to talk to Tony about how, how his grandson is being um, treated at school for denying a girl being a cat. And, and, but then this man was really moral. And, and how Brother Tony could see this man, this, this vile man, he knows he doesn't have Christ. This guy kind of thinks he is okay because he's pretty moral. And the gospel for Tony is easier to give to this guy than to this guy sometimes. At least the way they might listen. So, so... Uh, Right in the middle of all this teaching that Jesus is doing, this, this woman interrupts. So please stand and I'll read verses 27 and 28. He's teaching these things we were just talking about. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. And keep it. You may be seated. I titled this sermon, Blessed Mary. Because the woman, this woman that blurts out, she wants to show her approval and her affirmation of Jesus of Nazareth. And she wants to, she wants to draw attention to how proud his great mother must be of him. How great a job she did and how blessed she is. And, and then Jesus corrects her to explain to her what true blessedness is. There's no question that Mary was used mightily by God. You may doubt that. I mean, she, she has a very important role in the history of the world. Arguably, one of the most important people in God's plan of redemption. In all the history of the world, Mary is one of the most important people. This woman, having no idea, this lady in the crowd, she has no idea who Jesus really is. She's simply giving credit to this this wonderful woman who raised this incredible man. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Paraphrase, your mother must be so proud. She is so blessed. Again, this woman showing her admiration and her, and her approval of Jesus. She was impressed by his earthly accomplishments. You know, he was a... Look, this guy had thousands of people following him. He would speak and people would listen. His ability to orate and attract a crowd was unmatched. He, he had just cast out a demon, so this woman was impressed. And she wanted mother, his mother to get some credit 
for how she had raised him. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Jesus had indeed been born of Mary's womb. He had ate at her breasts. David's messianic psalm. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Written a thousand years earlier, over a thousand years earlier. Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And our fathers, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me, me, see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you, God, are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, came from Mary's womb and fed at her breasts. Mary was indeed Jesus' earthly mother. She cared for him well. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. But we were gentle among you. Paul's talking about how they interacted with those at Thessalonica. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Mothers are gentle in in caring as they they nurture their infant children, nursing them and, and taking care of all their needs. Mary took care of Jesus in this way. She raised him from womb to adulthood. So ought we not venerate her in the same way as this woman does and call her the Blessed Mother Mary? What do we know about Mary? Where do we find out what to know about Mary? Well, we look in the Scriptures, yes? So let's see what we know about Mary. Let's see what God wants us to know about Mary. Mary was introduced in Luke's Gospel back in Luke 1. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we know that Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. We know that Joseph was of the house of David, as we know Mary was as well. So we know that. We know she was a virgin betrothed to Joseph. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So Gabriel said to her, Mary, the Lord is with you. And But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So, so you are favored by God, Gabriel says. He is with you and he is going to use you. And, and she knows there's nothing about her special that she ought to be used. 
What kind of greeting is this? She's troubled. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to you him give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel speaks all about the greatness of Jesus. This, this lady says, what are you, Mary says, what are you telling me? And, and all he does is tells her about how great this son of hers is going to be, that she would carry in her womb and that she would name Jesus. This, this son that she would birth and raise. This, this son who, who would be called great, the son of the Most High, the son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David. This is the forever king, the forever king, the promised Messiah. That's who you are going to give birth to. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She was confused because she knew how babies were made and she was a virgin. So we know that Mary was a virgin who was betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. We know that Gabriel came to her and told her she was going to have, God was going to use her. She, she didn't know how that could be. And she, she, she knew how great her son would be and who he was to be. There's verse 35, And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son, and that is six months with her to, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here's what else we know about Mary. Mary understood she was going to be used of God, and she was willing. We know that about her. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth had heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So we see that that this that that Elizabeth like this woman in Judea in the in the passage when today, she calls Mary blessed. She calls Jesus blessed. So so this virgin woman is going to be carrying the Son of the Most High. She she's willing. She understands it's going to happen in a supernatural way. She goes and Elizabeth John the Baptist leaps in her womb and and she calls her blessed. We know that Mary had favor with God. Nothing about Mary made her the mother of Jesus except God's favor. God did this. There's nothing about Mary that made her deserving of this. Now, how did Mary see herself? What does God want us to know about how Mary saw herself? Luke one forty six in her Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She knew she was a sinner who needed a Savior. 
For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. She knew she was lowly and a sinner and had no reason to be used in this way. But she, her soul magnified the Lord. Her spirit rejoiced in her Savior who looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And they do and they will. And why is she blessed? She's blessed because her soul is magnifying the Lord. Her spirits are rejoicing that that her humble estate has been seen by the Lord and he is going to save her. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary saw herself as a blessed woman because God would use her in spite of her sinfulness to bring the Messiah into the world. Let's see what God wants us to know about Mary as a mother. Besides having fed birth and fed Jesus. Luke 2, 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of the Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to be set apart, consecrated to the Lord because this was her firstborn son. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So as their firstborn son, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple for for Mary's purification and to offer sacrifices for their firstborn Jesus. Joseph and Mary were faithful Jewish parents in following God's laws. We know that about her and Joseph. Down to verse 39 of Luke 2. Uh, this is after Simon uh, had, had, uh, had blessed Jesus and the prophetess Anna had confirmed that he was the Messiah. Verse 39, And when they had perform, performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So we know that Jesus grew and became strong physically via the care given him by Mary, no doubt, and the provision provided him by Joseph the carpenter. He grew up and Mary was his mother. She mothered him. Just like Emily mothers Sophia. That's that's what Mary did. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Again, Mary and Joseph were very devout Jews. They took Jesus every year to the Passover. Or they went every year. When he was 12, remember we talked about this when we looked at that, when he came into manhood, they took him with. So again, they were faithful Jews every year making this trek to Jerusalem for the Passover. And down to verse 48. This is after they departed and they we're headed back, and Jesus wasn't with them. Went back and found him in the temple, learning from the teachers. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Mary was a typical mother. She was repro- repro- reproofing and correcting her son. She was miss- He was missing, and she was worried. She expect- expected Jesus to be where Joseph and her thought 
he was going to be. Now, he corrected her in this case and said she ought to know that he would be about his father in heaven's business. This is when he becoming a man, kind of getting a little bit of separation from. But they returned, verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So Jesus went home, and his mother traded up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Mary was a mother, the mother that Jesus was actually submissive to. Joseph and Mary raised a son who became more and more holy. In John 2, something else we know about Mary. She was present at Jesus' first miracle, the the turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Listen to that. The mother of Jesus was there. Now, she was kind of a caterer, kind of, we think, but she was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So what we see now when Jesus is in his ministry, you see this separation. You see the separation. Mary was invited, and separately, Jesus was invited. He was with his disciples traveling. He was not living with Mary. He was no longer under Mary's authority. He had he has grown, and he is gone, and he has left his mother, and he's cleaving to his bride. Verse 3, when the rain ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. So we see that, that Jesus is, is no longer under Mary's authority. She no longer tells him what to do. John 19, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So we see Mary again at the crucifixion of her son. She was there, and and as prophesied by Simeon, a sword pierced her soul as she saw her son dying this brutal death. She was a mother whose son had left and cleaved to his bride, the church, and creating the church, and, and, and Yet she went to watch him be crucified on a cross. And you can understand the anguish of a mother's heart because she was, she was his mother. She had birthed him, fed him, and raised him. We see Mary one last time in Acts 1. Verse 14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. She was there as a follower of Jesus after he had ascended. She was a follower of Christ. She was a Christian. She was in the upper room. She was one of the 120. She was with the disciples. So so this is what we know about Mary. That's that's not in total because but that's that's what we know. That that's what we know about Mary. We know that she was the earthly mother of Jesus. We know that she she carried him in her womb. We know that she fed him at her breast. We know that she raised him. We know that he left her in adulthood. We, we know that she knows she was a sinner in need of a Savior. 
So, so where does Rome get all these non-biblical teachings about Mary? We all know Catholics. This is what we know about Mary. We just looked at what we know about Mary. They call her the mother of God. She was the mother of God the Son. She was the mother of Jesus incarnate in the flesh. God, the triune God in three persons, has no mother. Jesus Christ, fully man, had an earthly mother, and it was Mary. They talk, they teach of her perpetual virginity. Well, we just saw, and we'll see here in a minute, that Jesus' brothers came with her to see him. They talk about her immaculate conception, that she was born supernaturally and without sin. She acknowledges she's a sinner. She acknowledges she needs a Savior. They teach that she was assumed into heaven. Like Elijah. Assumed it. Based on nothing. Based on nothing. They, probably worst of all, they they teach that she's a a co-redemptress or a co-mediatrix or an advocate. They teach that Mary is, is our way to Jesus. Our way to, to convince Jesus of things that we need. We pray. They pray to Mary in order that Mary would tell. Jesus, you see the separation starting even on earth. He does, she doesn't tell him what to do at the wedding at Canaan in Galilee. She certainly doesn't tell him what to do now. The, the traditions of men, and, and they, derive, they derive the whole Blessed Mary thing from Elizabeth's words to her. Mary was the mother of Jesus incarnate. Jesus of Nazareth, the man Jesus of Nazareth, was born out of a womb, nursed at his mother's breast, grew as any other young boy into manhood, then into his adulthood where he was doing his ministry, And then he died. All of that. She was his earthly mother for sure. Remember remember how how in the book of Luke we saw earlier, remember how Jesus replies to this in Luke. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is disassociating the earthly relationships and he's, he's pointing to his real reason for coming, creating eternal familial relationships. When he's at the cross, he, he, he's dying and because he still cares for his mother, because it's his mother, but because he's passing, he's passing into eternity, he's saying, hey, Here's John, there's your son. Hey, John, there's your mother. He says, you take care of her. There's an earthly relationship that, that Mary would be taken care of. 
When Jesus saw his mother and disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. The end of his earthly, fleshly life, Jesus is still caring for his mother because that's his mother. There's something for us to take from that. But there's been, a, there's been this disconnect um, from Mary being any, any, kind of a, any kind of authority or, or being blessed because she's his mother. There's no mother-brother card when, when they come to see him. They don't get in. He says, no, these are my brothers and brothers, the one who hear the word of God and do it. He, he's pointing to his true family. So in, in response to this woman's focus on this earthly blessedness, this, this earthly relationship of this, the, whoever the mother of Jesus was, as she's saying, blessed is that woman whose womb blesses her womb, blessed are the breast that nursed you. You sure are, should be proud of him. You're blessed. Jesus points to something far greater, something far more valuable, eternal blessedness. Jesus explains what true blessedness is. Look at Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Mary wasn't blessed eternally because she was Jesus' earthly mother. She was not blessed eternally because she was Jesus' earthly mother. She was blessed in the heavenly with spiritual blessings. Being Jesus' mother on earth brought her no advantage with God. She found favor with God, kind of like Noah found favor with God. She found favor with God. God then used her and showed her her need for a Savior. Believing in Jesus is what blessed her in a way that matters. Being Jesus' mother on earth was not how she got right with God. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What was the woman pointing to when she shouted out, Blesses the womb that bore you and the breast which, you, which nursed you. She's pointing to temporal relationship. Jesus saying, no, that's not blessedness. He says, blessedness is not tied to anything earthly. It is, it is tied to hearing and keeping his word. But he said, blessed rather. The word rather may noun. It means rather on the contrary. You woman say, my mother's blessed because she bore me and nursed me and raised me. No, no, I'm telling you, you think she's blessed because of that, but I'm telling you you're wrong. That's not true blessing. That's not true blessing. Rather, 
are those blessed who hear. True blessing, the kind that has the greatest value, is for those who hear. Akuyo, pay attention to, to believe and respond, to obey, listen, and conform to what was heard. Okay, not simply hearing like you might hear my voice right now, but to listen and confirm with your life what you're hearing. Those who hear, Lagos, the word of God. Blessed are those. This is a conversation that it gets kind of cumbersome because um, people really do want to stick to blessings on earth. And we use the word, and I don't want to argue with the word because, look, I have been blessed with a wonderful wife. She will not be my wife in heaven. There are no husbands and wives in heaven. Okay, but but that's not, that blessing of a wife here is far inferior to the blessings I have because I heard the word of God and keep it. You go to Kenya and they, they call us blessed as a country. We're not blessed, we're cursed. I would, I would argue our wealth is a curse, not a blessing, as a culture, as a nation. It's what we trust in. Jesus saying, no, look at you're talking about my mama. That's not blessing. Rather, rather, blessed rather are those who hear, pay attention to, believe and respond, obey, listen and conform what was heard. The word, the lagos of God, and keep it. Fulaso, to obey, keep commandments. Mary is not blessed in any meaningful way by being my mother. True blessing comes from hearing the word of God and keeping it. The gospel of Jesus and his commands. True blessedness in the heavenly places in eternity comes via the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hearing the gospel and keeping it, believing it. All that Jesus commands. Remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke 9. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is God speaking from heaven saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Blessedness comes by listening to Jesus, not being his mother. This thing that we value so much and and rightly value, motherhood is a beautiful design of God. Jesus saying, don't think my mom's blessed because she bore me and nursed me. Blessedness is in hearing the word of God, listening to what I'm telling you, Jesus is saying. True blessedness comes from listening to God's word. True blessedness comes to those, those, those who for for. They come to Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Not those who do anything to work to get to heaven. As in the context we're talking about, working to clean up their own life. Morality is worthless and meaningless. Genealogy, even being my mother, my earthly mother, is worthless and meaningless. Even the works of birthing and nursing and raising Jesus himself would not do Mary any 
good. That wouldn't bless her. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is where blessedness is found. This is where peace is found in Jesus Christ, in the Word of God. So, so you see, he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. Lagos. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. He was in the beginning with God. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The word of God, verse 14 of John 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Blessed are those who hear Jesus, believe into him, and keep it. That's where blessings come. Mary has no special place in heaven because she carried me in her womb and nursed me at her breasts. There's no work that Mary or anyone else can do but to believe into Jesus Christ. Hear God's word. John 6, 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Blessedness comes in believing in Christ. Believing in Christ for salvation and keep believing into Him. Be obedient to His commands and keep trusting in Him. You want blessedness, true blessedness? Hear the Word of God and keep it. Believe into Christ. Keep believing into Christ. Keep clinging to Christ. Be obedient to His commands. Not be obedient to His commands... Then you'll be blessed. You'll be obedient to His commands because you are blessed. First John 3, verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. We are blessed when we believe into Jesus Christ and love him and love one another out of his love. You do not get God's blessing by loving me well, brethren, or unbelievers. By the way, many of you in here have yet to confess Christ, and you really treat me pretty well. And I'm thankful. But you have no heavenly blessings by treating me well.
brothers and sisters, you love me and treat me well because you are blessed. And this is the commandment. This is his commandment. Believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Believe in the word of God and keep on believing into Jesus, following his commandments, loving the brethren and loving future brethren. I know we don't struggle with this, maybe. I don't think we do. I know many millions and millions and millions of people do. Mary's not blessed because she birthed and raised Jesus. Not in the heavenlies. She's blessed because she's believed the word he said. She's in the, in the upper room after he's ascended because she's now a follower of Jesus Christ, God the Son. This woman wants to shout out, she's blessed because, look, look, look what a great son you have. You must be so proud. You're so blessed. No, no. Blessedness rather, Jesus says, blessedness rather, are those, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Nothing temporal. Can't get much closer to Jesus than Mary. Does everybody see that? I mean, who's closer to Titus than Sarah? He, he lived in her womb. He, he, he ate at her breasts. There's a connection there that's real and, and different. That was married to Jesus. And it didn't bring her anything in heaven. Jesus stops it right there and says, no, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Blessed is the one who's saved by faith, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Jesus did not want this lady putting any hope in how Mary, for Mary, how she had raised him. Closing thought. True blessedness. This goes back a little bit. It's not found in morality. Nor is it found in thinking Jesus is an amazing man. This woman thinks Jesus was an amazing man. Your mom ought to be proud. Or even in being his earthly mother. True blessing is not found in morality, nor is it found in thinking Jesus is an amazing man, or even in being his earthly mother. True blessedness is not found in anything temporal. True blessedness is found in believing into and being obedient to Christ alone. You want to experience blessedness? Be obedient. You want to experience misery? Brothers and sisters, you want to you experience trials and troubles and tribulation and, and lack of assurance and unsettled? Don't be obedient. You want to experience blessedness? Keep believing in Jesus Christ and keep being obedient. That, that's going back to what we looked at even in the psalm today. 
to tell someone they're blessed by God that doesn't know Christ is, is not accurate. They might have a lot of money. They might live a really moral life. They might have a really cool family. They might have a really cool career and job and house and all kinds of stuff that seems like they're blessed. They're not blessed. If they don't know Christ, if they not heard the word of God and believed it and keep it, they're not blessed. So what do we tell this person? Man, you have a cool house. Man, you have a cool car. You're a cool dude. You're a really nice guy. Man, you're really blessed to the Lord. No. No, that's not blessedness. Rather, it's hearing the word of God and keeping it. So what do we give this man? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God. That's what we give him. What do we give the man who's struggling with sin? Who's looking for a better life now? We don't give him biblical principles to live by. The law without Christ, right? It's morality. It's it's meaningless. It's usually dangerous. We give him the gospel or her. That's where blessedness is found hearing the word of God and keeping it. We ought live that way in those that we are around. Boy, what a great blessing, Corey, you have with that job at Eaton. There's no blessedness in a job at Eaton. His blessings are in the heavenly places and, and his, his task is to make these people think that a blessing of a good job or being a boss is something to hold on to. Hey, if you can't stop wearing the t-shirt, you can't be a manager. You're going to give up that blessing. There's no blessing in that. Most everyone you know that yet to know the Lord, they're seeking something temporal. They're seeking relief from their anguish now. And what must they do to be blessed? Hear the word of God and keep it. Hear the word of God and internalize it. So what do we give them? We give them the word of God. We show them Christ. Father, thank you again for your word, the clarity of your word. Thank you for the the remindedness, the reminder, the reminder of how, how we are thankful. Father, we are thankful for our families, our earthly families. We are thankful for those relationships that you've given us. We know that is your kindness. That is your common grace given to all people. All people with families and friends. One of the things you give us, Father, as, as human beings is you give us relationship. And one of the things we lose in eternity if we have not believed on Christ is any relationship. That is your grace, but that is not blessedness. That is not a happiness reserved for you and your people. True blessedness, true blessing is that we have heard the word of God and that we keep it. Father, help us cling to your word. Help us cling to Christ. Help us to be obedient to his commands out of a love because you first loved us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand and sing Hallelujah for the Cross, hymn 287. Hallelujah for the Cross. 287.